And speaking of the Holy Spirit, let's look in John chapter five this morning. John chapter five, the gospel of John, and um, I'm gonna go ahead and read it. You, we've stood up quite a bit already, so I'm gonna just let you stay seated. But John chapter five, beginning in verse 25, we are continuing our study of the Holy Spirit and how he works in our lives. And in verse 25, he says, truly, truly, this is Jesus speaking, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the, death, when, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. May the Lord add his blessings to the exposition of his word this morning. You know, every so often, uh, theology kind of creeps into the headlines. Most of the time, our country really doesn't care what's happening theologically. But every now and then, it does kind of creep into the, into the headlines. And that happened uh, here recently on January 6th. Do you guys remember what happened on January 6th of this year? Uh, I believe it was January 6th anyway. I might have my date wrong, but uh, all of you are kind of looking at me blank like, nope. <laughs> so, um, but we saw images that I, don't, I didn't think I would ever see happen in the United States of America where we saw scores and scores of people storming the Capitol building of this great United States. It was quite a sight to see. It was quite a shock. And what really interested me in the whole thing was not so much what happened, that was bad enough, but in some of the interviews that took place afterwards, and this is where really the theology came up. Let me read some of these quotes to you. A man armed with a knife said this, I just felt like the Spirit of God wanted me to go into the Senate room. Another gentleman said, God told me to break the glass of the door and rush in. Another man said, I checked with the Lord three times. Three times I checked with the Lord. I never heard a no. Boy, don't you wish, you know, all of our answers came like that. Well, she didn't say no. <laughs> so, you know, I, I asked Roxanne out on the date the first time. She didn't say no, so I showed up at her door to pick her up, right? Don't you wish all of life, life worked like that? It doesn't. It doesn't at all. All of these guys believe that the Spirit was working through them to take over our Capitol building and, quite frankly, insurrection, breaking the law, which, by the way, the Spirit will not tell you to do that. Let's just get that in the open. But that's just one example of the confusion of how the Spirit works in our lives, amen? That is one example of the confusion that Christians have when it comes to how the Holy Spirit is working and active in all of our lives and among many other examples that we can give, but we need to ask for our sake, for Calvary Baptist Church, how does the Spirit work and what does it look like when he is working in our lives? We need to be absolutely clear on that so that we recognize when the Spirit comes and when he is working, we know, we know that we know that the Spirit of God is moving. We need to know that, amen? 
And so I told you last week, there is a basic framework that we follow, that the Bible teaches us that the Father wills our salvation, the Son accomplished our salvation, and the Spirit applies our salvation to our lives. And, and that is the framework that we need to understand. And trust me, breaking and entering and breaking the law has nothing to do with the Spirit applying our salvation and making us more like Christ, unless they are telling us to do something that is against the word of God. That's the only exception to that. And so by applying our salvation, we means that everything Jesus accomplished for us, everything that Jesus paid for, everything that Jesus did, the spirit brings to us. And aren't you glad he did? Because if it weren't for that, we would have to go and get it. And you can imagine how far we would get and so we need to understand, we need to acknowledge the Spirit's work in our lives. Last week, we talked about the Spirit's work for us. And now this week, and, and probably into the following weeks, we're gonna look at the Spirit's work in us. What does he do and what is it like? And for the sake of time, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kind of get right into it. And so number one, as we look at it, we're gonna see first of all, and I'm kind of putting this in a logical order, uh, understand that this is not a step-by-step -step process. A lot of these things overlap. And so you do need to understand that. But the first thing that the Spirit does is that he calls us. The Spirit calls us. And if you look in John chapter 5, verse 25, he says, truly I say to you, the hour is coming and now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Now, what Jesus is talking about there when he says the dead is that he is talking about the spiritually dead. He is talking about the lost. He is talking about those who are dead in their trespasses and sin. You say, how do you know that, Randy? Because look down in verse, at verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tomb will hear his voice. That's the physically dead. And all will hear that because they will all rise to the judgment of God, some to everlasting life, others to everlasting doom. And if you don't hear the first voice, you will hear the second one. And so, but God is, but Jesus is telling us that there is a time and it is now here that the dead will hear the voice of God. That is the calling that we are talking about. And last week, like I said, don't think of this as a step-by-step -step process because last week we talked about the conviction of sin, how, how the spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, right? Well, calling is kind of the positive side to that. Kind of two sides to the coin. You got conviction of sin. You've got calling to righteousness and ultimately calling to Christ. That's what's happening here. And in this calling, when the spirit convicts and we are drawn to repent of our sins, in this calling, he's drawing us. He's wooing us. He is inviting us to Christ and to salvation. Look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 13 and 14, I think I, did I put it on the board? No. Okay, so look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter two. Just, he says here in verse 13, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits or in the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. 
To this, watch this, to this, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see that? He called you, and how does he call you? He calls you through the gospel. He calls you through the gospel to obtain eternal life and grace. You could say it's, this call is like a summons. It's like when a, when a man puts together a great banquet and he goes out and he summons all the everyone, everyone in the kingdom to come. And you remember the parable, no one came. And so what does he do? He tells the servants to go out and individually call, go to the highways, go to the byways, but each and every one call them and bring them into the banquet for my, my great banquet hall must be full. You remember that, that's a parable of the calling. You have kind of the general call that goes out for everyone to believe. And then you have what we call the efficacious call that goes out and calls people and woos them in to salvation. It's an invitation. In fact, it's an appointment. It is, it is to call someone by name is, is how it's used. You could say that it is to appoint someone. That's why Paul in Romans 8 verses 14 and 15 Here's what he says. For all who are led by the spirits of God are sons of God. And watch this. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Did you see that? That spirit of adoption. Beloved, what happens when you are adopted? I'm adopted. My original last name was Westmoreland. I was Randy Westmoreland. And then my stepfather, me, adopted, adopted me. He stepfathered me, and he also adopted me. And in that process, I was appointed into the Scott family, and now I carry that name. You are appointed by a judge as a member of a new family, and in the similar way, when the Spirit calls us, he is appointing us to God's family. He is appointing us. He is summoning, come, and calling us to faith. And there's a lot more that I could say with that. But, but when the Spirit calls, you know, a lot of these guys that we quoted said the Spirit was calling me to do something. But the question is, when the Spirit calls, what does it look like? What, what does that mean practically? You know, sometimes we kind of abuse the call, don't we? A lot of times people say, I'm called to do something, and when, re when reality, it's just something they really want to do, Right? I was uh, leading a choir in my church, and it was the weirdest thing. It was, uh, it, this was like, what, 15 years ago, I think now. I was leading a choir, and this particular choir felt like they didn't need to practice. They thought, oh, if you just sing all the old songs, we know them, we don't have to practice, and we don't have to give it any more time. That's, isn't that a great way to serve the Lord, just bear to meet the minimum, you know? <laughs> and so, anyway, so obviously, uh, I had a problem with this, so I kind of canceled the choir, and uh, obviously that made a little waves. And, and so uh, when one lady came up to me one time, I'll never forget what she said. She said, well, brother, you know, by you doing that, I'm called to sing in the choir and you took it away. And I said, well, let's, let's do it again. Let's, you know, uh, grab some of the ladies and such. We'll get together 4.30 to 5 on Sunday afternoon. We'll go over some stuff. And she goes, oh, brother, I'm not called to practice. Yeah. People can't abuse the call, don't they? A lot of times they just say that I'm called to do something that they just want to do or I'm not called to do something I don't want to do, right? And so what does the call actually look like? Let's go back to our text. What did Jesus say? 
He said, truly I say to you that the hour is coming and now is here that the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. If you wanna know what the call looks like practically, there it is. You recognize the voice of God, specifically through the scriptures. As the scriptures are explained, as the scriptures are read, as the scriptures are taught, you begin to recognize God's voice. You begin to recognize God's truth. You begin to understand it. You begin to understand how it applies. You begin to understand that you're accountable to it and you begin to love it. You start to see it clearly. You start to know what it is. You begin to hear the voice of God in the scriptures. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. He says, for the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called... Both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And when you begin to hear the gospel and you begin to understand that this is the very wisdom of God, you begin to understand this is the very power of God, my brothers and sisters, you are being called. Amen? That's what it looks like. Both the power and the wisdom of God. God's word, preaching and teaching is no longer foolish to you. The gospel of Christ is no longer offensive to you. Your heart is changing and you begin to love it. You begin to hear it for what it is. John 10, verses 26 through 28. This is what he means. In fact, we're close by. Just look at that real quick. John 10, verses 26 through 28. He says, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. But my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. By the way, in our continuing life, you wanna know how you're hearing God's call? Because you're following Jesus. Jesus never broke into the White House. Jesus never did any of that. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch out of my hand. Beloved, that is the call of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Is that you this morning? Maybe the word is beginning to open up to you. Maybe you're beginning to understand it. Maybe you're beginning to hear it for the first time. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it says that the, the things of God are, uh, the, those who are, let me just go there. I'm gonna butcher it. 1 Corinthians 2, it says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. Beloved, the natural person does not receive the things of God, nor is he able to. Are you finding this morning that you are growing in your ability to discern the wisdom and the power of God? Then you are being called. You are being called. And what does he call us to? The spirit calls us and the spirit regenerates us. That's a big word. The spirit regenerates us. Regeneration. Can we say that out loud together? Regeneration. Yeah, there you go. Boy, didn't that just warm your heart? <laughs> but look what Jesus says. He says that the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will what? Will live. 
And that is the regeneration of the Spirit. And that is, and that we receive new life. Now, in the last 80 years, the language of regeneration has become the primary way in our culture to refer to salvation in Christianity. And there's different ways that the Christian, that the scriptures refer to this. It, it talks about the new creation. Talks about the new self. Here in, in this text, Jesus is using the language of resurrection. But the most popular, probably because of the work of Billy Graham, is that we are what? Born again, right? The second birth. And that is the summary of the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration is when God imparts new life to the believer. It happens at the moment of salvation. It's not a process, but it is instantaneous. Now, conviction is a process oftentimes. But when you get new life from the Holy Spirit of God, it happens at the moment of salvation that you are now a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, everything is now new. Beloved, you're not, you're not defined by those things that you did when you were lost. You're not defined by your suffering anymore. You're not defined by your disabilities. You're not defined by any of those things. You are now alive in Christ. You are now in Christ. John 5, 21, just a few verses up. He says, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. We are born again. Second birth. And the primary passage of this, I don't think would come as a surprise to anyone, that is John chapter three. This fascinating conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, and I'm not gonna do the whole thing, but Jesus tells them in no uncertain terms, unless you are born again, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God, verses three and five, unless you are born again. You know, what's so sad is that today, born again has become a part of our cultural language. Born again Christians are now associated with political and far-right ideology and views. Uh, it's now a political and sociological term that is used in the news and in the media to uh, talk about alt-right and those kinds of things. In fact, uh, most experts today, if you look up you know, psychological experts, whatever those are, Today, they'll say that it is an intense psychological experience. It's like a cathartic experience to give someone the boost they need to leave behind the things that are tearing apart their lives. Maybe it's drugs, alcoholism, depression, etc. It's a social economic process for those who need such a thing. Some of them even refer to it as a transcendental hallucination. These are the experts of our day teaching us what we are, what it means to be born again. It appeals to someone who desperately needs a fix in their life. You know, if you're in prison and you need to be reformed, you can be born again. If you are someone who needs to fit into a crowd, you must, you know, you have this born again experience so that way you are accepted as part of the group. It's for those who need acceptance, for those who need a boost to get out of life habits. It's for those who need to turn their lives around. You know what's amazing? Is that in the primary text in John chapter three, where Jesus, the only time on all the gospels that Jesus uses the phrase born again, 
he tells this to Nicodemus, a man who fits none of those categories. None whatsoever. He's a deeply religious man. He's a leader in the community, a deeply moral man. He's a deeply righteous man. He, everybody recognizes him as a religious leader. If you looked at who is the example of someone to follow, everyone would look at Nicodemus and say, Nicodemus is the one who loves God the best and follows him. And yet Jesus looks at this perfect example of a righteous Jew and he says, you need to be born again. Nicodemus fit none of those categories that our so-called experts tell us today. He's not someone who's in the dregs of society. He's not depressed. He's not on drugs. He's not even irreligious. He's at the top of society, deeply religious. And yet Jesus says, you must be born again. So what does being born again feel like? How do I know that I've been born again? You know, some experience a deep emotional experience. For some people, it is cathartic. But not always. Not always. For some people, they feel a deep relief of their struggles, but that's not always the case. You know, someone, when I was, uh, I was a youth pastor somewhere and I overheard a, another pastor talking to a teenager, a young lady who was struggling with her salvation. And he says, well, what did you feel whenever you asked Jesus into your heart? She was four years old. She don't remember. And the bottom line is, if she remembered that, she probably wouldn't be struggling with her salvation. So, not a good way to give people assurance. You may feel deeper relief of your struggles, but that's not always the case. Scripture refers to it as a new heart. What does that mean? New heart. Remember what the heart is? It's the center of our thinking. It's the center of our, of our affections. It's the center of our will. And Jesus says that when you are born again, you get a new heart. In fact, the promise of the new covenant, Ezekiel eleven nineteen, says this, that I will give them one heart, a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. That is being born again. Your stony heart, your hard heart is removed by God and in his place comes a heart that is soft and mendable and moldable by the spirit of God in your life. Your mind has changed from rejecting God's word to accepting it. We saw that in, um, in the text we looked at earlier. Foolishness to the Gentiles, stumbling block to the Jews, that's a hard heart. But to those who are called both the power of God and the wisdom of God, that's a new heart. That's what a new heart looks like. Affections were changed from hating God and loving sin and self to loving God, hating sin, and denying self. We don't love sin anymore, we hate it. We don't love self anymore, we deny ourselves. We don't hate God anymore, we love God. He changes our affections, he changes our will. Change from wanting to disobey God to get what we want to, uh, to a deep desire to obey God and to please him. Essentially, from unbelief to faith. That's what being born again looks like every time. 
Sometimes emotions are there, sometimes they're not. Sometimes there's tears, sometimes there's not. Sometimes there's a deep relief, sometimes there's not. But beloved, don't think that just because you didn't have any of those experiences when you were saved, that you didn't really get saved then. My question to you is, is did you have a changed heart? The things that you used to love, are you, are you consistently growing from them? The sin that you used to love, are you consistently denying them or growing in your denial of them? Are you growing in your denial of self? Are you growing in your love for God? If that is the case, then beloved, you have the evidence of being born again. God didn't save you because your reaction to him was so great. He saved you because he is great. Amen? He didn't save you because you're such a great person. He saved you because he is a great God. Remember what we said, knowing the faith, living the faith, sharing the faith. That's, that's our goal in Calvary Baptist Church, right? We wanna train you to know the faith, live the faith, and share the faith. Essentially what we're saying is, we want you to be born again. <laughs> that's what we're saying, essentially. Be born again. And how does this happen? It's when the Spirit indwells us. It's when the Spirit indwells us. And I need to be done really quick. There's two aspects of this. There's the initial indwelling that we see that is called the baptism of the Spirit. I can't get into that. So we'll, we'll talk about that at another time. But this is really the promise that is associated with Jesus' coming. In Matthew 3, 11, John the Baptist says that I baptize you with water, but one who is coming after me, he will baptize you with both the Spirit and fire. Baptize you with the Spirit who are believers. The, he will baptize with fire those who are facing eternal judgment. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus Christ baptizes us with the Holy Spirit when we come into faith of him. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a second work of grace. It is something that happens at the moment of our salvation. We are placed into the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit of God is poured over us like we are fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. What we are about to see with Brother Avery is that he is, is a symbol of that being immersed into the spirit by, being, by, by signifying the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's identifying with Christ and that's what the spirit does with us. He identifies us as those who are in Christ. He baptizes us and it happens at the moment of salvation. We said that, Mark, I'm gonna skip that verse. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, look it up later. But then there's also the continued indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is the indwelling, the, the God's very presence living in us. This is the defining characteristic of the church. This is the new covenant. This is why we are a believers only church. This is why we only baptize believers and not infants because the sign of the new covenant is that not that we are born physically, but that we are born spiritually. The covenantal, we, we understand the covenantal understanding of baptism and that those who are in the new covenant are those who are baptized by the Holy Spirit and therefore we baptize them with water, not the other way around. Romans 8 verses 9 through 11, you'll want to look at that later. This is really the source of all the other works of God through us. The Spirit is within us and he causes us to come 
alive. In fact, look at Romans 8, verse 11. I, I can't skip this. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And then we'll be done. But it says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you understand that you have the very power of God dwelling in you for, for holiness for witness, for ministry. We are now living in the power of the Holy Spirit, the very power of Jesus' resurrection, and we're becoming more and more alive as we grow in our faith, knowing it, living it, and sharing it. As the Spirit indwells us, we are growing in those things. So we need to ask some questions this morning. Are you grow? Let me ask you this, and I'm just gonna ask you to bow your heads for a moment as you consider these things. Are you growing in your dissatisfaction and hatred of sin? Are you growing in that? Are you growing in your ability to deny self and give of yourself to Christ and others? Are you growing in your love for God? Are you growing in your appetite for God's word? Your love of truth? Are you growing in those things? Beloved, if you get tired of God's truth, if you have a, a disappetite for God's truth, if you're constantly rejecting God's truth, there is no evidence of the spirit within you. None. You may need to be born again. I don't care what prayer you prayed when you were a kid. I don't care how wet you got when you were baptized. If you have no fruit, there's no reason to believe you have the spirit. And beloved, maybe this is your morning. Maybe this is the time the Spirit is calling you. Maybe for the first time, you're becoming aware of your sin and you are becoming aware of God's word and you're, and you're increasing in a desire to respond to it. Maybe that's you right now. And I would beg you to respond. You cannot grow as a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You cannot grow without him in your life. So how can you do that? By feeding your soul. Avail yourself to God's means, the word, prayer, worship, fellowship with God's people. You cannot grow in the spirit. You cannot grow as a Christian while ignoring his means. Can't do it. So I pray everyone in here, I pray everyone under the sound of my voice, either here or online, that you are growing in the Lord. And if you're not, I'd like to talk to you. Maybe we need to have a conversation. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your being with us this morning. I thank you for the ministry of the Spirit. And Lord, I pray that if there's one here this morning that the Spirit is speaking with, I pray that they would not resist. Lord, I pray that we would not resist the Holy Spirit as the Israelite fathers did, but I pray we would listen to the words of Stephen that we would be born again 
and we would heed your call and we would know Christ. And if there's one here this morning who needs to do so, I pray either through the word spoken or through the word seen in this ordinance, I pray they would come to know you. It is in your name we pray, amen.